Danny Jenkins, how you doing, man? How's it going, Steve? Good. Good, good, good. You know, I'm I too am doing well. It's uh it's it's nice, you know, it's like four in the afternoon now. Where where are you located again? I'm in sunny Orlando, Florida. Now your your accent doesn't sound like a Floridian Flor Floridian accent. No, well, it's it's really from Detroit, but it's okay. um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so it's it's a little bit mixed up. So I'm originally back from the UK. Uh, mm -hmm. I left there about when I was nineteen twenty, and then I spent nearly a decade in Ireland, and then oh. a year in Malta, and now nearly a decade in Florida. So uh, so so you don't even way. know what you sound like anymore. No, and my kids, ooh, they're really confused. I, one of Irish mother, English father, they all sound American. One was born in Malta. Ask them where they're from. <laughs> oh my gosh. So so you run Threat Locker. Yes. And what what did you do before Threat Locker? So my uh, I did a lot of things. So my last company I, I sold a business in 2014 I think uh, to a company called Sentinet was an email security company. Uh, so I worked in the security industry for a long time before it was called cybersecurity, back when it used to be called IT with security. Mm. And now it's, it's, it's its own vertical almost. And uh, I, I founded two email security companies, one of which was called MX Sweep in 2005. Um, I exited that early to investors and they later on sold to Fusemail, which is now Viper um, email security. And then I found another one called Cirrus Tech, which was a complete white label solution. And we sold to one of our customers called Sentinet. Uh, and that was like five years ago before Threat Locker. But I've also done a lot of red team uh, stuff. I've done a lot of uh, enterprise level locking down environments, securing environments, giving advice in various sectors. So, so you like to, to be on the red team. You like to be the bad guy. I like to be anything that pays me. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I, I've done a bit of everything uh, and I think it helps. Uh, I think to, to look at it, security as a side, oh, if I'm a hacker, I know how to defend is wrong because I think it's really good to look at all perspectives because a hacker is going to be very, very tunnel focused. How would I get into that environment? What would I do? Uh, and they'll miss what somebody else would do. Uh, whereas um, defense tends to look more generic across the board and they don't tend to think about how people are going to get in there, but they think to check boxes and check compliance. Whereas it's nice to have a little bit of insight from both sides of the table. That's uh, that's really cool, man. So, so tell me, I, I know that I, it's hard. I, I, I want to kind of almost act dumb and be like, Oh, well, what's threat locker? What do you do? But I mean, anybody that's been watching my videos long enough knows that I did like I don't know, 18 videos on your product or, or some ridiculous number. I, I don't think I've done as many pro, as many product videos as yours with anything else. But it was it was really cool. Like I I would like get so far and then I would just kind of send you the video like, hey, here's where I got hung up. Here's here's where I got confused. And then you'd hop on the phone with me and be like, well, here's here's where you screwed up, Steve. But I just I thought I thought you were smarter than this, Steve. I swear you said that to me a few times. And uh, I, I think I think you did block everything at one point. Oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing in there, man. Like I was like, oh yeah, like I've I've allowed these applications. I should block everything else. I was not thinking about like all of the stuff built into Windows and, and all the applications you don't know about. Like there's just all of that stuff that, that's running. I had no idea. And those videos really changed my perspective 
uh, and it it was it was hard watching them all. They were locked. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so uh, and uh, and I, I didn't even drink too much alcohol. So that was a. Uh, but they they, they really impressive. changed my perspective on the MSP uh, level because I I worked with MSPs a little bit, and uh, our CTO is my brother, and uh, I, I actually only hired him a year ago, less than a year ago, to come on and help because he he's worked in MSPs all his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the first time I spoke to you, um, we, we were an enterprise product. We, we, we worked with healthcare companies. We worked with, uh, DOD contractors, uh, big manufacturing, and it was a very enterprise focus, but we, we'd really focused on taking the enterprise tools and bringing them to a little bit smaller enterprise and so not just the DOD, but maybe the DOD contractors who couldn't afford 10,000 people in their IT department. And it, yeah. we were talking to a potential client one day and they said, can you speak to Steve? And I said, who's Steve? He says, oh, we look at all our webinars through him. So uh, we set up a webinar and this was 18 months ago. And it, it really was amazing because it changed, I wouldn't say changed, but certainly split the direction of our business actually completely. Uh, at that point, I think we had three managed service providers as clients. And um, I didn't know really anything about the market. I didn't understand their requirements. They'd come to Threat Locker and they'd signed up for Threat Locker because they had a specific need that they'd been looking for. And um, after I did your webinar, we signed up a few clients who were watching the webinar. And then um, apparently people started talking on Reddit, the webinar got shared. And this was December 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, by October 2018, I think. And by December, um, we we were literally signing up five MSPs a day. And I remember, fast forward to January the following year, and ConnectWise had reached out to us and asked us if we'd consider partnering into their event program where we can integrate into their product. And at the time, I really didn't know who ConnectWise was, like who were connected, sure. <laughs> so, which is a joke for anyone in the MSP world, but we didn't have a clue. So we'd gone from this point where, before the webinar with you, where nobody... I, I didn't understand the MSP business. I didn't understand where MSPs were to a few months later where we were signing up so many. I mean, I wouldn't, at that point, it probably wasn't more MSPs in financial volume, but certainly in terms of customer count volume, more MSPs than we were enterprise within a three month period. Uh, to six months later, we are now ConnectWise partners, or then ConnectWise partners, Kaseya partners, SolarWinds partners. And and this the the evolution of our product since then has been unbelievable to right down to the point where MSPs are finding it more friendly, we're making the tools more available to them. It was always multi-tenant, but only by nature that it sure. just happened to be that way. Um, and now fast forward 18 months on and probably 90 plus percent of our signups are MSP based. Um, and it, it's... And, and we're not just not just small MSPs, but big MSPs who deal with big clients and, and and hospitals and government agencies and and things like that. So <clears throat> I, I can't get get this like feeling out of my throat. Sorry. So uh, basically, not to toot my own horn or anything, but but being on one of my webinars changed your life, Danny. Yes, I, I now have less sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> we now have more features. And as a consequence, uh, I, I would say that our business has done very well. And it's, 
that that webinar planted a seed and i i don't remember how many people watched that webinar i, I can't remember the attendance but and i don't know how much but what i do know is we got a few signups from that and that turned that just snowballed out of control um and uh, it's i do these calls now and again most of the time we expect nothing to come of them with various uh, different groups and podcasts and webinars but th this was one of the few that really changed the direction of the business well i can tell you that um not too many necessarily have watched the webinar it's like we're, we're talking in the hundreds you know not in the thousands or tens of thousands um, where I do have other, I do have other videos on, on there that have substantially more. So I think, I think what, what happened is, you know, you were on, we got some people talking about it and then we got some people using it. And that's when the real conversations happened was, was not, not just from, from the webinar, but the results of you know, maybe, maybe half a dozen people signed up for it as a result or a dozen people signed up as a result. Right. And yeah. then from then is, is when things kind of snowballed. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm sure it helped. I mean, I, I'm sure it, it took you, it took you into the MSP space being on there, but working with all those different MSPs is really what helped that product evolve, especially, especially, uh, it sounds like, uh, that, that painful, just watching Steve try and figure out how the heck this thing works. Uh, those, those were also painful, um, for me too, because I, I never want to make it look like, you know, you, you guys are some kind of a-holes or, or anything like that, you know, like, um, at, at the same time, though, like, I want people to understand if I'm going to actually sit here and walk through an application, I want to do it with an application I've, I don't really have much experience, if any at all. And I, I want to do it just like a real MSP owner or or ops manager or whatever, where uh, I'm not going to read the manual. I'm not going to watch the, the training. I'm just going to open it up and log in because that's what everyone does. Nobody has time to go through training, right? So my, my co-founder was yelling at the screen <laughs> when you were, when he was watching the videos going, why are you clicking there? <laughs> was like, he can't hear you when you're talking to the screen. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it would be fun for me to to do that again, just to kind of see, cause I, I haven't really, I haven't really played with it since, you know, so it's, it's been since 2018, since I did that. Gosh, can you believe it's been that long already? That is insane. I actually pulled up one of the videos and I look at how the UI has changed from in 18 months to what it looks like now. It's almost an unrecognizable product. Um, so when we look at, I mean, it still has the guts there, but the, the detail we show, the multi-tenancy levels, the ability. Now, on the other side, in some respects, we're, we're chasing this forever. How can we make this more intuitive? How can we make this easier? Uh, but in the other end, we're also adding features. We're adding the mm. ability to search across tenants, have global policies for all of your tenants, uh, the, which was one of those things we put in place immediately after your webinar from some feedback. And we kind of wish we'd done it differently now because it's kind of stuck that way. Uh, to and we're adding we've added hundreds of options that weren't there before that are there now which is more options for people to play with and break well let's uh before we dive too much into that 
Um, I want to give people kind of a too long didn't watch of your product here. So I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to have Google Chrome open up here. So I think I did it wrong. There we go. All right. So, so this is the Threat Locker website. And <clears throat> excuse me. See, I'm telling you that just feeling just won't go away. So you've got application control and you now have storage control, which that's new since I did the videos. Back back at then it was just threat locker control. Yeah, and now and it, it we call it control suite now and okay. application control and store, storage control where the ring fencing kind of over overlaps the two of them. So application control is as it says here unlike traditional antivirus programs. And the reason that MSPs would like something like ThreatLocker is it allows us to uh, basically like let this ThreatLocker agent run on, you know, an entire network of systems for several days or several weeks, however long you want this to run to make sure you kind of get that baseline of what they use, right? And then you start saying, all right, all this stuff is allowed to run. Anything else uh, is blacklisted. It's, it's just not allowed to run. And then customers basically have to like call you and, and ask for you to like enable an application. Or that's, that's what I remember it anyway. From yeah, so the, the customer calls the MS or, or normally hits a request permission from the MSP. They hit a button. The mm -hmm. MSP gets a ticket um, and they, they either approve the application or they don't. Uh, right. And this application could be something at the kernel level. So it could be um, something being pushed out through your RMM. So if somebody gets into Automate and tries to run a new script and that's not approved, it's going to get denied. Or it could also be something that the user downloads. So they download a Word document that then goes out to the internet and downloads a piece of ransomware and that gets blocked. So, so I mean, this is... You know, at the time, it was like a very revolutionary type of, of security application for MSPs, you know, 18 months ago when we sat down, because there really wasn't much of application whitelisting going on for MSPs back then, unless you were in the MSSP space. Those guys used just a completely different set of tools. And good for them, I say. I mean, you know, they, they do something different. So it, it makes sense that they use different tools. Um, so I don't recall the term ring fencing. Is that basically just not allowing things to get onto the internet without permission? Okay. Um, no, it's a, uh, it's a little bit more complex than that. So that is one of the things, but so the idea is whenever you run something on your computer, whenever you open a program, whether that program is a piece of ransomware or whether that program is angry birds or PowerShell or Microsoft Office, they are that program has access to everything that you have access to sure. you don't need to be an administrator to run zoom for example we're running it now you don't need to elevate and right. zoom immediately takes access to everything we have access to so if we have access to open powershell zoom has access to open powershell if we have access to our file share on the network zoom has access to it and if we have access to the internet zoom has access to it whether we're local administrators domain administrators or just normal users um, so the idea, our idea is we want to stop it running. So don't let things run that could be bad. But some things we have to let run. We are letting Zoom run now. 
And uh, a week ago, Zoom had a number of vulnerabilities, which we published a video on that allowed attackers to run malware, run fileless malware, and run um, uh, other threats from, your, from Zoom, directly from Zoom. So the concept of ring fencing is we don't just want to control what can run, but we want to control what it can do while it's running. And that could be we want to stop Office from calling PowerShell or RegServe or scheduled tasks or um, four files or any of those other weaponizable tools that you can't necessarily block because they're critical for your operating system, but you certainly don't want a payload to be delivered through an Office document and to open it. The same applies to Google Chrome or Internet Explorer or Firefox. We don't want any of these front-end applications being able to interact with back-end applications. So that's stage one of the ring fencing. The idea is, is we don't want attackers to be able to launch a, an attack uh, through some interaction with the user, through a document, through a web browser. The other part of it is once an application is running, we want to define what it has access to. So just because PowerShell is allowed to run on your system, it doesn't mean it should be able to access your network drives, your network shares. And if it should, it should be limited and maybe in a read-only fashion. If it can't access your files, it can't encrypt those files, it can't steal those files, it can't copy those files. And then finally, we want to stop those applications interacting with the internet. So we want to stop PowerShell being able to go out to the internet, except maybe your RMM server where you host scripts or limited sites. We want to stop Internet Explorer going out to the internet. Actually, we want to stop it full stop, but unfortunately we can't. So if we can't stop the application, we can limit what it can do. So we can say, here's Internet Explorer. It can run, but it can't access my files, and it can only go to this old one website on the internet. So the concept of ring fencing is limit an application once it's running to be able to do anything that it shouldn't be able to do and to stop people weaponizing legitimate applications or exploiting legitimate applications against you like people were last week with Zoom. I don't know if you're speaking, Steve. You, we've lost audio. I'm so sorry. I was clearing my throat and forgot to unmute. So that's um, honestly, man, that's, that's fantastic. So, so to dumb this down a little bit, the, the ring fencing basically lets you control a, a second line of defense. So you can say, yes, the, the whitelisting, I can whitelist an application. And normally the whitelisting just says, yeah, you've got access to it all. The ring fencing allows us to say, eh, let's, let's ring that in a little bit. We don't want you to have free control over the whole darn computer and all of our network shares and everything else. You're only allowed to access the things I allow you to access. That's correct. It's kind of like saying, I have a bolt on my front door and I open the front door for everyone I trust. If I want them in my house, I let them in. Whereas an antivirus is a bouncer saying, if, you're, if you've got a criminal record, you can't come in but everyone else can. We're actually saying no one comes in unless I want. And once they're in the house, the ring fencing is saying, okay, my daughter's boyfriend, he's allowed in the living room. He's not allowed in her bedroom. The cleaner, if you have one, which we don't, <laughs> as you can see from my office here, um, <laughs> she's allowed in the kitchen and the laundry room and the, the, the pool guy, he's allowed in the yard and the pool shed, but not anywhere else. So the idea is you wanted to find so, so you're, you're giving them, uh, you're, you're like re-keying the computer so that way not everyone has the master key. Correct. And it's That's, not about just being an administrator because you can do a lot of damage as a normal user. All right. So something else that somebody brought up, I'm going to bring up, 
a competitor, um, not, I know you're not going to bash them or anything. So auto elevate, um, you, you guys have probably also heard of auto elevate and this is, uh, I can't stand their, their title tag, by the way. I mean, it looks like a windows process, but, um, I just, I can't stand it. So anyway, um, they, I'm told, do like the same thing you do, but better. Because they also do like whitelisting and, and you get to manage admin privileges and, and that type of stuff. So thoughts? So Auto Elevate, do, they don't do whitelisting. They whitelist what can run as an admin. Uh, so, and the, I wouldn't consider them a competitor. And, and we, we, we are in the process of having some elevation features built in, but we're, we're, we're somewhat difficult. It we're conflicted on that in that our objective is to take privilege away, not to give privilege. And the idea, the concept of auto elevate is to, um, and I get why we've, and we are adding some taking privileges away thing, but it's, it's a balance, isn't it? Or giving privilege, I should I say. The idea with Auto Elevate is to take a normal user who is not an administrator and give them the ability to become an administrator on a temporary basis for a specific set of tasks. And there are, there are a few elevation control techniques and products out there that do that. So the idea being that if you're, if you're not a local admin, you cannot open QuickBooks Updater. And if you need to open QuickBooks Updater, you have to get your IT guy to come in, your MSP to come in and run that program for you. Um, Threat Locker's approach is very, very different. We, we don't care whether you're an administrator or not. Most ransomware is happening nowadays through the administrator accounts. So the, the, our, our objective is it doesn't matter whether you're a local user or an administrator, you can't run a program that isn't trusted. And just shutting down elevation isn't enough because guess what? I have access to all my, as a user, I'm not a local admin. I have access to all of my files, all of the company's documents, all of our finances, our customer lists. I don't need to elevate as a piece of malware to get that data. Elevating helps me to embed deep in the operating system and elevating mm -hmm. helps me to, to, um, uh, to spread, but and I can spread without it. So let's say if I wanted to spread without elevation, and, I, and like I said to you, again, I've done some red team stuff and I've done some, um, some ethical hacking to show people how easy it is to get around their network. And let's assume you've got a, a company. They've got some antic antivirus running uh, or any antivirus. It doesn't matter whatever. They've got a, a, a well-known antivirus and I need to get into that company to extract data. Uh, none of the users are local administrators. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do one or two things. One is I'm going to get somebody to give me their password if their data is accessible by password. I'm going to get the dumbest person in the company, the least educated person in the company, I'm going to get them to give me their password. And I can, and, and the reality is in my experience, I can normally get at least one in five people to give me a password, which is terrifying uh, through spoofed emails and other techniques like that. So you get somebody to give you a password and then you access it through password methods. If, if you can't access it through password methods because they have dual factor authentication and they don't have open servers on the internet, uh, then you have to get onto their land, which is starting to step up a little bit because now I'm risking getting arrested <laughs> and, and things like that. So, uh, which which is packers will do. They'll they'll walk in, they'll plug something to a USB port. Um, 
but let's assume the other way I'm going to do this, I'm going to get somebody to open a file, open an attachment. So I send uh, a file, um, normally not in an email directly, but some kind of Dropbox link or OneDrive link saying, um, I'd like to apply for this new position, or can you check it? I haven't been paid for this invoice and we're referring it to collection. All the common things that you think, who the hell's going to open that? Uh, but somebody opens it because you, you only need one person to open it. And then once they open that file, I can immediately encrypt everything they have access to or copy any data they have access to. So the lady in accounts, I can now get all the financial data. I can now encrypt all the financial data. Uh, we'll talk about the, the other type of ransomware that nobody wants to talk about too. Um, and the other thing I can do though, so I'm a little bit smarter, is when she opens that file, which has an Excel icon or a PowerPoint icon on it, it's actually an executable, or I can embed it in a macro or, or various other things. When they open that, instead of actually doing the damage there and then, I'll show them the data. I'll give them something to look at so they don't realize they've been exposed. Then I will use that and I will store, uh, so I can, I can create like a mini RMM system running under the user context. So I can now send commands like copy this file to a network share, browse their network shares and say, okay, oh look, there's a staff vacations list on the network share of an XLS file. Let me replace that with an EXT file with an Excel icon on it. Because let's face it, how many people show extensions and how many users know the difference between an EXT and an Excel file anyway? So now I can replace that file on the network share with a very similar file that looks the same. When they open it, it will still open the original file. But now it's going to infect that user's context too. I can still put it in the user startup. It's not in the system startup, but it's still in their startup. So I go from one user to five users, 10 users, 20 users, opening this file, which is regularly accessed. And before you know, I've now got access to every machine. And as an IT professional, I definitely wouldn't open an EXE. But then I get one person who's a domain admin and then I've got their backup server too. Assuming they've secured their backup server and they haven't got an exploit available where I can, or weak password, or guess what? I just got in the CEO and he's got his backup server's password saved nicely in LastPass. And I've got a client running on his machine where I can connect to it under the user context. I can copy that data, I can capture that data. And all of that from one user opening a link in Dropbox. And none of that I needed to elevate. So the idea of elevation control is important. And if you ask me, what should you use a product like auto elevate? I'd say if the alternative is that the user has to be a local administrator using products like auto elevate is great because it means you're only making them local administrators when they have to be, and you can add whitelisted programs. And that's what they refer to as a whitelist to the elevation control. But saying that as a, if you're using an auto elevation, if you're using, well, if you're using it, regardless of what you're using, you should be having some kind of controls over what can execute because even domain admins shouldn't be able to execute things. And even local users, regardless whether they are, are admins or not, shouldn't be able to execute programs that are not trusted. So what you're saying is auto elevates great for some things Threat Locker is great for different things. And you guys don't really do the same thing at all. We don't do the same thing at all. Um, we, we have developed an elevation control, which we have not implemented yet. Mm -hmm. and whether, for, for one big reason, we have to deal with this in that all of our product is about reducing control. Elevation escalation, automated escalation of, of privileges is about reducing security. Yes, I agree that it's for a temporary period versus a permanent period of allowing someone to be an admin, but ultimately it's about reducing security. 
but we are completely separate products and we have lots of clients who use auto elevate and we have lots of clients who use various EDRs and antiviruses too, because they are very different solutions in very different areas. So I, I'm curious what, um, I'm curious what else you're seeing people use in addition to threat locker, because I recall uh, back when we, back when we did this originally, you, you kind of implied like, well, you know, I don't, I don't need any antivirus. I just use threat locker. Like, and that's cool. Like I'm all about, you know, drinking your own Kool-Aid. So I'm on board with that, but I'm sure not every MSP feels the same way. And so, so I'm, I'm curious, like what other, and I'm not asking product names, but what else are you seeing them use with your tool? Like, are they using um, an antivirus uh, threat detection type thing? Are they using a SOC SIM, a knock? Like, okay. And yeah, I think I remember the conversation. We, so we are not a replacement for an antivirus. Of course, right. whitelisting blocks all malware. But what it doesn't block is the administrator from permitting that malware. And, you know, at 2 a.m. in the morning when I drink drunk half a box of wine and somebody asked for permission for some game maybe i'll make a bad decision one day or maybe i'll just be busy and make a bad decision so we're we're not here to identify the good and the bad we're not a judge we're not a jury uh, we'll block team viewer or we won't block team viewer if you want to allow it it's completely up to you we won't give you an opinion now we will tell you that this is what it says it is so when somebody says i'm requesting access to team viewer we'll say this is a built-in definition and we'll talk about the updates and the importance of those definitions in a moment but we'll we'll say we're going to block team viewer um, or we're going to allow TeamView if you want to, but we're not here to say you should or you shouldn't. That's, we try and stay out of being judge and jury, and we're not an antivirus. Uh, we do internally use Windows Defender with ThreatLocker, um, and partially because I, I think Windows Defender is as good as most of the antiviruses that are failing to do their job. Uh, <laughs> and the other part is because we've got to eat our own dog food and make sure that we believe heavily on it. But um, I certainly think it's better than some of the lower end antiviruses. Maybe some of the EDRs and, and things like that have an edge on it. But we, we do use Windows Defender internally. It's also worth noting we pay for 10 times the number of antivirus seats for our built-in application definitions, and we have members of staff nearly. So uh, Now, back, back up. You said you pay for what again? Uh, it's probably not 10 times now. It was 10 times. So we pay for... Um, hundreds of seats for antivirus that we do not use why that we could use uh, because one of the big features of the challenge with whitelisting the challenge with default deny is what happens when there's an update to a product what happens when there's an update to windows or an update to office or an update to silence and threat locker blocks it because we don't have the new hash in there so that's the big reason that msps never used whitelisting and when we first started selling into the MSP market, we had the common apps as what we call definitions. One of the other things that have changed since when we first spoke to you 18 months ago where we had less than 50 applications, we now have over 300 applications built into our definition that we monitor for updates, that we monitor for changes, and that includes antivirus products. So despite the fact that we have licensed antiviruses, that we could use. And the only reason we use them is to download them, install them, and make sure that they're not going to get blocked on our clients' accounts because we don't want to block your antivirus. Um, 
I wish some of the antiviruses would take as much care with our products, but uh, we, we don't want to stand on other people's toes. So we, we have all these antivirus products and we don't use them. Um, now, there's a few philosophies behind that. Uh, one of them is that obviously we're very comfortable with threat locker. We're very comfortable with our other security practices uh, that, and I don't particularly believe that Windows Defender is a bad antivirus, especially in Windows 10. Um, uh, the other reason is the more products you put on your machine, we saw last year, and this isn't to beat up on Webroot, but we saw last year Webroot's consoles being compromised and being used to push out malware to MSPs. The more products we put on our computers, the more software we install, the more risk we expose, the, the more surface area of attack we have. So the less we can install on our computers, the better. Every computer we get out of the box, we use Microsoft Surface computers internally. One of the reasons we use, the two reasons we use them, one is they, they can get them to us really, really quickly, um, unlike Dell anymore. And you can, even in the middle of COVID-19, we've hired seven new members of staff in the last month. And we've managed to get laptops from the Microsoft store delivered the next day to, to our, well, to my house in this case, in Orlando. Um, so that is a big reason we use them. The other big reason we use them is because they have a very small software footprint. When you buy a Microsoft laptop, it comes out the box with nothing on it. We can put ThreatLocker on there without any automatic profiling, without any baselining, because we have the Windows Core built in, and we can just say, I'm going to allow these built-in apps for our users, ThreatLocker, Google Chrome, Microsoft Office, and Edge Chromium. That's all we allow for our users to run. The less software we allow, the less likely that software can be compromised. So again, that's another reason we don't use antivirus. That said, I'm not here to beat up on antivirus. The more security you can put in your stack, the better. Um, we have clients, uh, Windows Defender and Webroot are the two biggest antiviruses we see deployed with ThreatLocker. We have clients, the third biggest antivirus is Sentinel-1, um, or EDR, I guess that may be considered. But we have clients using antivirus, EDR, the more security you can put, the better it is. Huntress, all of these are products that people are layering on top of ThreatLocker. We are the bolts on the door. I love that, that man. So if, if you can put an antivirus in and you've got, of course, I'm going to say to you, pick, do you want a house alarm or do you want a lock on your door? And <laughs> so I, I want to, I don't even want doors, man. <laughs> so, uh, so we are the bolts on the door. It's great to have an antivirus. It's great to have a house alarm. It's great to have a dog. It's great to have cameras as well. And I've got all four in my house. Putting three antiviruses in is putting like putting three house alarms in your house. It's going to make a lot more. It's going to make a little bit more noise, but not really that effective. But right. of, of course, if I if I'm trying to compete for priority in a stack, I'm always choosing least privileged controls. Um, but then, if you can put an antivirus on top of that, if you can have an EDR, if you can have a threat hunting system, they're all great layers of security. And I'm never going to tell you you shouldn't use them because the more you use, the better your endpoints are going to be secured hmm. okay so let's let's change gears a little bit um because i i think we're probably to a point where we've talked people's ears off about security enough um for now anyway well no let me ask one more question uh if if somebody understood what you did and still didn't see value in paying for the software as an MSP for whatever reason, 
what would your response to them be? Besides, so, uh, besides you're a flipping idiot. Yeah. So w one thing that I've been incredibly impressed with, uh, one of the big things when we started working with MSPs, I, I, I was very, coming from an enterprise background, I had this opinion, this very backward opinion that MSPs are basically glorified IT guys who uh, don't know what they're doing. And, it, it, and sometimes that is true. And we have some clients who use that locker who terrify me that they, I, I, they are reckless as far as I'm concerned. That their refusal to patch or to, to do things is, is unbelievable. Uh, but I have been incredibly surprised how much value where I have seen where two years ago, if I walked into a company that had 500 seats and they had an internal IT team of two or three people, I would, I would recommend that they bring in some more security staff. Now I'm saying you need to find a good MSP to back you up. And that, because I am surprised, I, I was massively surprised how much MSP, good MSPs do and how they really can offer value and benefit to their clients through various factors. One is they can show experience because when you sell to enterprise, that client's either been hit by ransomware or hasn't been hit by ransomware. It's simple. And if they have been, my, my job as a CEO is a lot easier. And the, uh, the sales guy's job's a lot easier. The sales engineer's job's a lot easier. But if, when you sell to an MSP, they know what ransomware means. There's no delusion in there. They understand. If they didn't patch one of their client servers in the past, they know what that means. If they leave RDP open on the internet, they're not, they're not siloed or delusional. They know that the impact of that is going to be huge. So, uh, so I, I think a lot of MSPs are smart enough and do see value. Of course, there are always going to be MSPs who either don't see the value or don't want to put the effort in. And ThreatLocker makes this really, really easy. But for some MSPs, they want, a, they want to bundle antivirus. They want to bundle some products that they can buy for two, three, four, five dollars a month, put them all in a package and sell the customer and call it a managed service. I would say that's fine if that's your business model. But if you are truly a managed service provider, your job should be to, and whether you use ThreatLocker or go out and take Bit9 Carbon Black, which good luck with that. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it, but your job should be to really care about your customer's business and understand the security and the risk of that customer. And if you want to be a true player, if you want to be a successful MSP who grows, then you should be doing that. And I recently jumped onto a call with one of our partners. And I didn't even know our partner was on there. We were invited to an MSP cohort. I jumped on that call. And during that call, there was one of my part, uh, partners, was, one of our partners was speaking about what they did and how they're growing their business. It was a Robin Robbins, like peer group. And they were talking about how they're growing their business. And well, we jumped onto the call. They were talking about, they just signed their biggest ever customer, 400 endpoints. And they said, the reason we were able to close that deal was because we could say to that company, how we're going to stop ransomware. And every other MSP that tendered that deal came in, we're going to give you the best antivirus. So. So uh, one thing I, I'm stuck on and it's not at all what you're expecting. Don't worry, Danny. 
is uh, you, you said if you want to be a true player as an MSP. And here's how my mind works, man. It's, it's not because... Uh, it, here, here's how my mind works. I heard if, if you want to be a true player, I then heard uh, the, the hook to Notorious B.I.G.'s Big Papa... I don't know if, if you know that song, but no. <laughs> throw your hands in the air if you're yeah. a true player. So, uh, yeah, I know that was painful to watch for literally everyone. If my kids were here, they would cringe so hard uh, that a 36-year-old man just did that. But um, that's that's where my mind goes, man. So I'm sorry for that. Uh, I, I do want to change gears with you. I want to talk about coronavirus you're you're not surprised are you well i, well, I haven't heard of that what's that <laughs> yeah yeah so so how are things in florida um i don't know because i haven't left my house so uh you're not allowed so <laughs> <laughs> so um it's still ridiculously hot um uh, the, the it's obviously just like every state i think florida's number five or six on the list of being hit because we are a big travel hub and from an economical uh, impact i, su I suspect we're going to get hurt, hurt worse than most states in that i know uh, disney furloughed forty thousand employees yesterday uh, so that's going to be bad um but i i i, I, I mostly <laughs> we're kind of siloed here and up until three weeks ago i was at two to three trade shows a week um traveling around the country and now i haven't left my my house in three or four weeks i can't even remember now i don't know what day of the week it is uh but it's it's a pretty you know i guess it's grim like everywhere else and but like i said i'm just stuck in this four walls so if it I, i'm gonna say this because i want it to to help i want to help you feel better Okay. Florida's number nine with confirmed cases. Oh, not, did it move down the list the, or did I just get it wrong? Not in the top five. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I'm not actually paying attention other than the fact that, you know, New York, it's number one, baby. Good thing I live As in always. Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just such a condensed area. You know, New York, New Jersey, um, Massachusetts, those are the top three. And then Pennsylvania, Michigan, California. And it's crazy that Ohio is like in like the top 20. I'm not trying to count that far down, but you know, Ohio's in the top 20 and, and Michigan is number five. I mean, we touch Michigan. So the fact that Michigan has four times the number of confirmed cases as we do maybe it's because michigan's got detroit concentration I, yeah yeah i mean i just didn't think people in michigan concentrated all that much it's a little double entendre there yeah. you like that <laughs> so, um... so, so we got we got over half a million confirmed cases in the u.s we've got over twenty-three thousand reported deaths and there's almost 2 million reported cases worldwide. There's nothing in Antarctica. I mean, thank God, right? The penguins are safe. That's something. Yeah. So, um, 
It's in and at I, least 180 countries. I think we, we're going to see it a lot worse over the next three months too. So, so you still think that the worst is yet to come? I, I think, um, I, I, see, the problem I see is we're, right now we're in this kind of lockdown state. Uh, where we're not locked down enough, but we are locked down, so we're slowing it down. Sure. Uh, so, which is we're flattening the curve. Um, and I, I'm not a scientist, and I haven't spent enough time to, to take anything I say as fact. So, you know, if, if if someone of science wants to give me more data, that's fine, and they're probably right. Uh, but if we if we look at New York, um, my understanding was we're flattening this curve, and we want to flatten this curve because we're we're going to run out of hospital resources, we're going to run out of ventilators and we need to be able to control it, which is absolutely great. And we've flattened the curve. When I hear from New York saying eight out of 10 people who go on a ventilator don't come out the other end, kind of defines the point of having enough ventilators if, if it's not really saving lives. Um, it's just but, extending the, the pain. It's just extending the pain. Um, the, the, the problem, I, now 20% of those people is probably, those people who came out alive probably appreciate the ventilators at the end of the day. 20% oh, absolutely. 20% is still a high number. Um, the problem we have is if we look at China and we say, we've blocked this, we shut down draconial style, we're, we're going to shoot people in the street type thing. And I'm sure they weren't doing that, but I know they had drones out there monitoring and making sure people weren't going outside. They've stopped it. For all intents and purposes, they've stopped it. Assuming that they're telling the truth and it's, or South Korea or those countries have managed to say, we've, we've actually stopped this virus. We can now start getting back to normal. Um, the problem we have in the U.S. is, yes, we've slowed it, but have we stopped it? And if we can't stop it, it just means we're going to get 2,000 deaths a day, 1,500 deaths a day for six months. And, mm -hmm. and until we either come up with a treatment or a vaccine, um, we can't start back up again because as long as there's still, I can't remember the number, 20,000, 30,000 new cases a day, as long as those numbers are still happening, that means it's still spreading, which means the moment we open our doors, the moment we go out and party, it's, things are going to get worse. Um, which is good news for Zoom because their stock prices continue to rise. So you, you said a really interesting thing here, though. Um, you said we can expect, you know, 1,500 deaths a day or whatever um, un, until, we, until we have a magic bullet for this thing. But you got to think... We're at 1,500 deaths a day with the stay-at-home order in 43 states and with social distancing. The, the, the whole economy is practically shut down. So I think it, that the death toll is going to be significantly higher if we just said, all right, open it back up. Of course. Mm -hmm. And that's, that, that's the problem. We can't, unless we stop it like China has, or South Korea has, let's assume China isn't giving us truthful information, but South Korea has, unless we can completely stop it, the moment we go back outside, it's going to get worse and that's going to turn into two, three, four thousand deaths. So what I ex expect, and based on the, the little information I have, and I, I'm a relatively a man of science, so I tend to, to believe in science, uh, but if we start going back outside, if we open up, then it's going to get worse and that 1500 deaths a day. And I, I'd also assume that if we stay where we are, that it's going to go down, but whether it's down, isn't enough. It's pointless unless it stops because it was only a handful of cases a month ago. And that handful of cases turned into half a million cases. Um, so if we, 
well, I'm probably two million cases because that's just the confirmed cases. Oh, um, sure, yeah. yeah. And and you got to think of all the people that probably had it before we even realized it was here. You know, yeah. like, um, but then on the flip side, and this is complete hearsay, I didn't even see an article. So it's it's one of those I, I heard on Facebook, but it was through my wife. So, so, uh, um, so she's saying how um, supposedly they're even saying that, you know, people that die in a car accident uh they're they're classifying some of those deaths as because of coronavirus that sounds a little far-fetched to me i mean if they had coronavirus maybe but maybe it could be that they died and then the car crashed and you know what i mean like maybe they were trying to drive themselves to the hospital because they didn't want to get that that um uh ambulance bill because yeah, that's I, what you worry about here in America. I can't afford an ambulance, so I'm going to drive myself to the hospital. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Well, that's. Um, I, I I I I would tend I, I tend to stay away from conspiracy theories, but <laughs> because mm. uh, there's so much crap out there on Facebook. But I, I'm assuming that the the numbers are relatively accurate in terms of who's dying from it. And I, um, I agree. If anything, I think they're low. I don't think they're high. Yeah. Well, and that's it. And there are a lot of people. The only time that it could be inaccurate is if you've got someone who's who has lung cancer, and it it could be a straw that broke the camel's back. But whether they would have died two weeks later is a is a whole different scenario. But it's um, I think either way, it's too many. It's and 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 I hope as a as a nation and as a world we actually start to look at this and it doesn't it doesn't become it's not forgotten about and we start looking about why do we spend seven hundred billion dollars a year on military and not even ten percent of that on on dealing with pandemics which could ultimately kill far more people than any war could ever kill. Well, I think it depends on the kind of war we have. You know, if we have a nuclear war, we're we're all done. Yeah, well, that's true. But we could equally, we could all be done. But we spend because of that, we spend seven hundred million dollars on a uh, billion dollars uh, on on tanks and training simulations and satellites and and we, we we can track threats and we can track missiles and we know who's building nuclear bombs. You know what I think we should be spending seven hundred billion dollars a year on space travel. Well, it, it's uh, at least we get off the planet when it's infected with a virus. <laughs> have you have you ever? I'm sure, Elon uh, would exist. Agree with you there. <laughs> have you ever watched that show on Amazon called The Expanse? I haven't. No. It's um, according to uh, an astronaut, it's the most realistic show, movie, anything where it's it's fiction, you know, but. It's the most realistic thing if we were to have like space travel and if we lived in outer space and that kind of stuff. I, I have to try and carve some time out for that. Now. I think there's like fast. four seasons now or something. Like there's there's quite a few episodes to watch, so you'll you have to carve out a lot of time. See, I, I I don't see me getting on any planes anytime soon, and that is great time for watching TV shows. Yeah. So, six hours to California—that's half a series. 
that is half a series. <laughs> so, so answer me this: um, what, uh, what, what conventions or, or industry events have you booked yourself for for twenty twenty? Okay, so what I'm we not had... asking which one's cancelled yet. <laughs> okay, so what we had on our calendar was every ConnectWise IT share event we could get to, every ConnectWise event we could get to. So all the local share events we did. I did three states in three days. I did seven in the last seven or eight in the last quarter. Um, with data roadshows, Kaseya roadshows, and I may get the names confused, but the smaller local events and those are really great events for MSPs because they're great learning events. They're great events where we get to connect with people and educate them and also that they get to talk to each other. Um, we bought uh, obviously the Dato cons, the Kaseya Connect, the, um, uh, the, the big trade shows for Data and Kaseya. Uh, we booked a whole lot of ASCII events. Um, um, Robin Robbins, we do all of the Robin Robbins events. And uh, Info Security in London was booked. Uh, RSA we did. Um, I know I'm going to miss some. And so, so you've, you've probably got, what, another 15, 20 events booked throughout the rest of this year? Oh, we were, we were probably more like 15, 20 a quarter. Okay. So uh, we typically, I, I was every week we had at least one trade show, sometimes two or three. There was very few weeks in the year we didn't have something booked. So I'm not asking you to name names because I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. But uh, I'm sure some of these have, have maybe been canceled, postponed, or changed to be like online only. Yes. And how has that affected you with what you've like invested into these events? So the cancellations aren't too bad because, well, I mean, we obviously have to figure out other ways to get in front of people and that's important. Right. Um, but the cancellations aren't too bad in terms of they're canceled. We know where we stand. Um, and we cancel our flights, we cancel the event, we get a refund. That's fine. I mean, these are these are events aren't cheap. Even these tiny little events, they're five thousand dollars a day. So we're not talking about small amounts of money. Um, the the last event I went to was a local event in, in Orange County, California, and typically you get about eighty people there. We had thirteen people there. So five thousand dollars to fly to California, spend fly meet 13 people and come back where we typically expect to meet 80 people is a bit harsh. So I've, that is a 5,000 for 80 people even sounds a little. Yeah. Well, and we get pretty good typically with these local events. When we go there, if we haven't been in that area before, they're not known. We might have one client, two clients there. Um, the next time we go, we have 30% of the room being clients. So they tend to, they tend to pay for themselves in the long term because the threat lockers kind of like Corona's it's contagious. When people start oh my eating. gosh! <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, uh, the, our, our sign-up curve looks a little bit like that too. Um, the um, but it's uh, the smaller events are, are um, the the we've done one virtualization so far and it was a complete disaster. And we have asked our marketing team to tell them we are not doing any more virtualizations for that company uh, because there was six people there. And that was not six people. And I'm pretty sure they're all vendors, maybe two. <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was a Zoom room and it wasn't exactly uh, exciting. 
um, the um, the virtualization that we have an, a virtualization for Robin Robbins, and they've been very good in working with us. So we hope that to be very successful. Their boot camp. Um, we will do. I've heard of a lot of people that are really excited because Robin Robbins already had like a virtual ticket as an option for the boot camp. So I mean, they were already kind of like set up to do that, you know. That, that, that's that's true. What they weren't set up is for the vendors, and they've had to work to integrate vendors into what was the, typically a boot camp scenario, and that is where. Mm we are obviously we have to get the same return we have to get the eyeballs on us we have to have the good conversations uh, with people so as as a vendor our objective is to get as many msps as possible to understand what we do and why it's important and uh, it's it's been pretty um we are I, time will tell the event is in the end of the month so we'll find out at the end of the month if it was a uh, if it was worthwhile but definitely we're d definitely doing that virtual camp and hopefully it's successful um and uh, the, the rest of them have either been pushed back or haven't been converted yet. So we don't really know. But typically as a company, we're making the decision if you want to convert to virtual, you have to, unless you've done virtual events in the past and you can, we, you can show how many vendors got how many leads and, and various things like that. We, we're taking the uh, decision that you, you have to give us some kind of guarantee or some kind of pro-rated refund if you don't give us a guarantee. Um, because it, it's it's too much risk to just say or people because when you're at a physical event take a robin robbins event everybody goes in they listen to robin they listen to the speakers and then they come out for their lunch and that's when they speak to us right well no one's speaking to us when they're getting their lunch in zoom scoffing easter eggs in their face and <laughs> well, doing a bit. so that that is um unfortunate obviously and and you know that that on on the other side of that spectrum like we msps like when we go to these events a lot of times i think we don't necessarily want to talk to you guys of course <laughs> but we want to walk up and we want to drop our business card in the in the box to try and win the thing you know because you're going to raffle a thing i don't know what it is but it's a thing and i want it airpods yeah yeah so Right. I don't even know what it is. I just drop my, my business card in the box and, and I move on to the next one. Yeah. I was going to show you some envelopes. We have envelopes. I'll, show, I'll grab you one of these envelopes. I know we have some here somewhere. So we have um, envelopes that we hand out. These ones here. So I'll see, I'll see if you can. And at the back of them, we have a void if opened. The Ooh. idea is what we do is we hand target MSPs at the events and we put uh, threat locker dollars in them, which I probably have some lying around between computers that are broken in pieces. Yeah, $2 bills. So we have these threat locker $2 bills here. <laughs> and so, so fake money, got it. Fake money. And we put them in there and we have $2 bills, $20 bills, and $200 bills. And we put them in the envelopes with a brochure. And we hand them out to the MSPs we want to talk to. And when they bring them back up to the event, we're, we're trying to get three minutes of that. Well, normally if you can get two minutes, you get 10 minutes because everyone gets so excited about this stuff, they, they want to learn more. So when they come back up to the event, they open it at the booth. And if it's $200, we hand them $200. If they open the $200 at the table, they lose. <laughs> so uh, so we, we get, and that way we get the 
business owners, the head techs, and not the marketing people coming up to the booth putting their car. <laughs> now we have the cards as well, so we have the AirPods right. that we, we give out. Um, so, uh, but it's um, and then we have the T-shirts, and everyone loves our Cyberhero T-shirts. And just if anyone's watching this at the moment, if you sign up for a demo, make sure you ask. We are giving these t-shirts away. We're mailing them to you because we have boxes and boxes of them. It's all I wear nowadays, these and pajamas. Um, and uh, uh, you can um, you, you sign up for a demo and we'll mail one of these out to you. Come and have a look at the product. It's worth, it's worth taking your time. But I, I love those shirts. I'll sign up for a demo. Yeah, sign up for a demo. <laughs> I'll send you a shirt anyway, Steve. Just, just make, sure, yeah, make sure Liz has got your address and she'll mail them out. Awesome. Thank you. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So, so the, the events though, so like I was saying, I, you know, I, I would drop in the, you know, drop in the card and I, I would typically have a conversation with them, but I also typically wasn't in the market for any of that stuff. So it was a conversation in vain almost. Right. So, so that was the other thing. Like you're talking with a bunch of people that are almost just wasting your time. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that, that that's that's the hard challenge. Um, where it's really effective or well, and this is what we won't get virtually, when we have threat locker cu customers at these events, threat locker partners, MSPs, we'll typically see like one MSP could literally walk seven or eight other MSPs up to our booth to tell them you need to talk to threat locker. Oh yeah, I mean I've done that with with some. I remember doing that uh, a few years ago with the. It was still Autotask at the time. And I was at the Autotask event in Miami, and I remember walking a few MSPs up to the IT glue table. I mean, you know, they're ecstatic. I mean, there's, and I, I just couldn't believe that there are MSPs that have never heard of, oh, now it finally focuses, that have never heard of IT glue. Like, how is this a thing? So, well, that's it. And it, it gets, and that is more powerful because when we're giving out envelopes and and giving away prizes, that's great. It gets us to attention. But when somebody walks somebody up to the booth, that's a lot. That is incredibly important. Because one of the things I really like about this MSP community is despite the fact you're technically all competing with each other, you're mm -hmm. really good friends. Um, yeah. And There's plenty of business to go around. Yeah. You're... Unless you just really suck, then we don't want you to succeed. Yeah. So, uh, the, the, and everyone likes to talk to each other. So it, it's great. And we've had really great success because I think if you deliver a good product and you can get one MSP, that MSP turns into five, 10, 15 MSPs uh, down the line. Good product and good support. Well, that's awesome. So uh, I'll say this, Danny, I'm sure you've got uh, just how MSPs love to talk to each other. I'm sure the, the channel partners, the vendors like to talk to each other. Yes. Is that, is that a reasonable assumption? Yes. We're all let, good friends. Even let, all of, let all of them know. I'm. I would love to have some awesome guests. Okay. Podcast. You tell all of them if they wanna. If they wanna come, uh, let me grill them and and just have a conversation. And then another thing I I want to start doing again is where I actually dive into products. And I I do. I wanna I wanna dive into yours because after 18 months, you said you don't even recognize it anymore. I, I think uh, I think now is a great time to get your co-founder screaming at the screen again at two in the morning. So I think that would be a, and they were pretty late those videos too. Yeah. Well, I was. I think I was doing them after hours. Yeah. And then I was so. sending them over to you, and then yeah, they were 
You stream yeah. live, live, live. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I'm going to do it live anymore. Yeah. I don't do like this is recorded. You yeah. know, we don't we don't have an audience. It's not streaming um, because I my goal is to do some post production on this stuff. Uh, the quality is only going to get better. Um, I just got to figure out how to do some of this stuff. So, you know. Uh, and, and by some of this, how to how to do? I mean, like the post production, not how how do I test software? Like I know how to screw around with software. M most of you guys know I I would uh, change my MSP tools almost as often as I changed my underwear. So that's not a concern for me. But but just figuring out how to do some of this post production stuff, like you and I were trying to trying to use that audio recording thing, and epic fail. Um, Thankfully, that's one of the best changes we've made in the last year as well. We have someone in marketing who does that just for us. So when we yeah. send it, we I, I, I literally hit record. Like that, if you saw that Zoom video last week, I hit record, send it out and say, make that go everywhere. Yeah. And then I just record it on Zoom there and then, and then don't even look at it. I just say, make it go everywhere. Make you sure go. you beep out any bad language. There you go. So and See, I don't even bleep out the bad language. That's you just you, you just let it slip and... Oopsie. So, so, um, so you said you haven't watched The Expanse. Have you watched any shows lately? Like, like I can tell you, you literally look like you're walking around in pajamas and nice socks. That's pretty um, much it. Uh, so, so would you? What would you say? Like your work day is like now? Are you working more or less? Oh, I'm working. So, Dwight Locker is doing. Last month we doubled, well, three times nearly. Well, say two point. 2.5 times our best month in history of new signups. Good so, for you. Um, well, you know uh, why though? Because uh, well, everyone's like, I got to figure out how to secure all these new work from home people. I think that's, that's a big part of it. Um, and uh, I think there was a lot of it coming anyway, because we've done a quarter of very, very busy trade shows. So okay. some of that is starting to pay off and then people trying to work from home. Um, some of the deals we had uh, to help people get deployed. So we, we offered 60 days. We will be your service, your request. We will actually create any custom policies you need. We'll do everything for you. You just push out the agent and we will make it work. Um, so that we did that and that seems to help got people on board. Uh, so my typical day looks like this right now. Um, I'm hoping I can change it. We, like I said, we've hired seven people in just over the last month. Um, so I'm trying to get some pressure off me. It's just, uh, but I typically get up about 5 a.m. Uh, don't get out of bed. I normally check emails, check LinkedIn, look at any audits for the day. And uh, I'll get up at 7 or 8 o'clock. Um, I'll then time I'm myself. the same way. Yeah. I, I try to – I want to figure out how to do as much with this from bed as possible. This is my iPad Pro. So and I, uh, I have a laptop for it. I have a desktop here and a laptop in the bedroom. Oh no, it, it gets, here's where it gets insane. You get the iPad Pro. The latest iOS supports a trackpad or a mouse now. So you get an iPad Pro and you get one of those like gooseneck things that you like clamps to your iPad and then you, you clamp it to like your headboard and then you just have it like right in front of your face, right? But wherever you need it. And then you got your mouse and then, uh, and then maybe get a keyboard, like a Bluetooth keyboard, and that's that's all you need, man. You just yeah. lay in bed, and then eventually. Put your RDP to your remote desktop. Yeah, I don't know that I need like 
I can zoom from the iPad. The iPad now has full-blown Photoshop, from what I can tell. I haven't actually played with it there yet. But, like, I don't know how much I need a real computer anymore. Um, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, we, we um, well, I have my laptop. and I, Well, my laptop is being used by my child at the moment. And then in the evening, mm. he puts it back on my bedside table. Uh, is it sticky? It, like, do they get, like, chocolate and... No, he just sits there like this. Oh, just watching here. YouTube? No, he just sits there watching the teacher because they're doing Zoom Zoom schooling. So it's literally like, are you paying any attention? Did you learn anything? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How old? Uh, he's nine, that one. Okay. So, uh, so, uh, but he, so he's, he doesn't have a laptop yet. The, others, the, the 12-year-old and the 14-year-old have their own laptops, but he doesn't have one, so he's been hijacking mine in the day. Um, and, that's, uh, and then he puts it up there and then if it's not charged when i wake up in the morning i get mad um, does it make you almost want to buy a chromebook for him i would never buy a chromebook can't put threat locker on it wait what so, can't put threat locker on it that's fair makes you yeah. almost want to buy a laptop for the nine-year-old um yeah, well i just think my wife should let him use hers too but i will i, I maybe i'll buy one <laughs> we'll see you see if i buy him a laptop then he expects to be able to use it whenever he wants and i don't want that that's yeah, that's the like you know my my daughter she's fourteen, son is seven, and the the daughter like there's a second Chromebook, and it's her Chromebook, but it's you know Google sent it. Well, I wouldn't have even bought it for her. Google sent it to me for checking out Google Cloud. They gave me a free Chromebook. They'll give you one too. I I just don't know how to tell you how to get it. I don't know. They just offered me a Chromebook. Yeah. So. So I've got a, I think it's a 13-inch Chromebook, and it's okay. It's like a $150, $200 Chromebook. It does everything she's needed it to do. What did I do? My my sound card just went crazy. So, um, so yeah, like, you know, she, she uses that for her Google, uh, they use Google, not Zoom. So it's Google Classroom and, yeah. and all the Google stuff that, that comes along with that. And she does the same thing, man. She just sits there. She's got like the hunchback thing going on, sitting yeah. on the couch, staring at the screen. I'm like, Genevieve, you're going to have like really bad rolled shoulder. You're going to look like me in, in 20 years if you keep this crap up. She's yeah. like, whatever, dad. Sounds exactly like my 14-year-old daughter. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And I don't know anything. I'm dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's um, it, it, what what was interesting though on my daughter's internet history. Well, I I didn't actually see it. I blocked her and she admitted it though. I was looking at her internet history one day on a laptop, and I said, "Why does it say how to disable threat locker on your laptop?" She said, "Oh, I only looked it up. I couldn't figure it out." <laughs> I said, "Of course you couldn't figure it out. It's called tamper mode." <laughs> so uh, wow. So, so she was trying to figure out how to get around threat locker so she could put more Minecraft on. Because one of the cool things we added, which is great for parents, not that we sell to parents, but Right. Um, you can now do times how many what times a day you can play this run this app but that is that is helpful for business owners as well yeah who, no power who, shell after hours nice so that yeah. also that also helps the msps to turn it off yeah time-based limit time-based um and also if you're working from home it tells you and that's the other thing it tells us because we have everything wing friends it tells us what website she's going to and it tells us what and it doesn't matter if she bypasses the, the internet connection and uses a hotspot because we can still see it. It's on the right. Uh, so, it, and it I just want 
I just want to clarify when I said as an MSP, you can turn it off. You can literally force yourself to stop working. Oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. No more PowerShell after, uh, after 5.01 PM Monday through Friday. I'm sorry that your server's down, but my tools aren't working. Yeah, my tools literally won't work until 8.30 tomorrow. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Kondo. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a great use case. <laughs> but, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So well, pretty, pretty much I just work from 5 a.m. to 12 p.m. and then rinse and repeat. But hopefully that will calm down soon. Did you say until 10 p.m.? No, 12 normally. Well, 12 a.m., I guess. So, but I, I suspect you, you like, take a big, long break in the evening for family time and then you just go sit back down at the computer and work in the night no <laughs> so you just don't see your wife or kids well my wife works with me so okay. I, I, I normally see her sitting behind me but she's gone out to install some computers somewhere um so she's, she's gone out to what set up some computers uh, oh boy oh so, you run an msp too huh well i don't run an msp she has i i, I I'll, I'll use it she has a small managed okay. IT where she basically she looks after the school's IT and she okay. looks after a few customers um and uh, she, like she's only going on site when they're closed um but she's gone to put some desktops in right now but mostly she works she does that lot of stuff she does the invoicing the billing the uh, so it's um she's normally there um telling me to shut off um that's really cool but, and she brings me tea and food I normally eat my lunch here and my dinner here but that's going to change soon it's hopefully yeah, that's it. I've got yogurt and teacups, and and I pushed it all back, so it went cold because my daughter made me think it was disgusting. So, uh, so it was a, uh, but yeah, but that's gonna. I mean, now and again, like yesterday, I took a, I watched Iron Man with the kids, and then uh, then got back to work yesterday evening. So. Well, I'm I'm glad that you're you're taking breaks to at least spend some time with the family. That's important, man. Yeah. Um, they don't like me anymore. Well, yeah, but when you do something fun and you're not yelling at them, it's okay. So, um, we'll as long that. as as long as they don't have like friends or people that might know them that can see you spending time with them, they don't want witnesses. <laughs> no, that's it. Well, there's no witnesses now. They're not allowed. Uh, mm -mm. They, like, yeah, not, no one's allowed. It's all. It's all. It's all secret. I hear, I hear the witnesses are now just sending Facebook messages to strangers. Have you, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Does it make a ding dong sign yet? <laughs> no, they're, they're literally, they're, they're like, send, they're starting conversations with people that they're not friends with on Facebook. And, you know, hi, have you, have you heard of our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or you know whatever they open with, right? Like they they just open up a Facebook message and are, they're going for it, man. Well, if they've got to recruit, they've got to recruit. That's it. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, that's uh, Facebook. It is, I guess. Um, it, it's the, but at least my door's not knocking anymore. Yeah. So uh, it's really it's really weird. Like you know my ring doorbell, my ring cameras all over the place. They've been like eerily silent. Yeah. So, well, so, Amazon's still delivering. That's the good news. Yeah. But like, you know, with normally by now, you know, the kids are outside running around. 
having having a good time like now even for another couple of hours they would be outside well it's, and, it's pretty now it's too hot for them to go outside here i'll see alexa what's the temperature Forty-one degrees. Yeah, you would cold. probably be wearing a winter jacket and gloves. Me, I'll go out in shorts and a t-shirt in forty-one. But so it is <laughs> Orlando, Florida. So it's in Celsius, but apparently ninety-two degrees here. Ninety-two degrees. So how how is the virus uh, surviving in in that heat? Apparently, it is. That's what you know. Everyone's like, "Oh, I hope it. I hope it dies down once we hit summer." Oh, if you yeah, look I, Florida, I it's not gonna. Well, if it, yeah, it's well, and we still get. They said that about flu too, but the the argument is: is does flu die down in summer because the kids are off school, or does flu die down in summer because the heat? Because we still get flu every year in Florida, and it's hot. It's a hundred degrees. So, um, but it's uh, we'll see. All right. Well. What uh? What would you like to say to the people, Danny, that are watching this and and still on the fence? The a t-shirt, just I don't know if it's worth a demo, man. A well, let me tell you. Okay, the product is awesome, man. I'm not even going to say anything about the product because it's awesome. And if you try it, and it, look, it doesn't cost anything to try it and push it out and. Uh, we'll even do like a ramp up where we're not, you can push it out now and we'll, we'll do a ramp up invoicing, which nobody else is doing. They normally ramp up deployment. We'll deploy it all now. We'll lock it down. We'll just ramp up the invoicing and we'll give you better pricing for pushing out fast. That part's awesome. But the t-shirts, they are really nice. They're really soft. They're really cool. And the guy who owns this trademark cyber hero, we had to borrow it from somewhere. So he's like, he's, he writes a comic book, cyber hero comic book. So if you, if you're looking for, and I, I'll be honest, I don't know how good they are, but I'm sure they're great. The, his name's Chase Cunningham. He does cybersecurity books, but he also does kids' cybersecurity books on Amazon. Huh. Uh, they're called Sinja Tech, Cyber Ninjas, but they own the trademark Cyber Heroes. We borrowed it from them for our T-shirts. So they're really cool. They're really nice. They're really soft. And if nothing else, get the T-shirt free, do a demo. We just hired, we've got two new sales engineers starting in the last two weeks. One of them was a big top automate engineer, and the other one comes from an MSP, actually. Uh, so, um, good for you. Come, come, and, come and fill up their calendar with some demos and get some free t shirts. Good for you, Danny. Because I've got 700 of these things in boxes. Oh my gosh. That, that you don't think you'll even be able to give out this year. You'll, you'll yeah. have a whole new marketing campaign ready for when you're ready to finally start going to these events again. Yeah. I, I mean, and I'm not washing at all, and I just keep going through it. <laughs> <So. laughs> well, you know, uh, that's fair. Just put a new one every day. You don't need to wash them. <laughs> We're gonna make, we're gonna make, we're turn, we're turn it into face masks. Oh my gosh, that's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Danny, thanks so much for coming out, guys. Check out threatlocker.com, and there is a button that you can click to uh, to try Threatlocker now, and and that'll get you, I believe, a trial. Or if you scroll down. There is a get a web demonstration. So either of those will have one of Danny's team members uh, get you started on this thing quickly. Uh, it sounds like Danny's going to take care of you guys. I've been really impressed with the product. Um, you know, I've, I've had nothing but wonderful things to say about you guys, even if I have no idea how to navigate your system sometimes. Uh, 
but uh my my security uh my security nut member of of rocket msp he even loves your product and i i think that says a lot about your product so well, thank definitely you. definitely check out threat locker especially right now as you've got people trying to work from home using maybe personal computers or whatever else keep these things safe and secure uh, also if you're looking for a peer group for your msp and you want to take your msp to the next level check out rocket msp dot io danny thanks so much for popping on here man this was thank fun. you steve and enjoy your evening thank you you too man stay safe stay healthy all right you too take care everybody bye, -bye.